CC, Growth Journeys from Emerging Ecosystems to Global Markets. We are looking for those who are ready to build multiple presence across multiple places, find the best clients that fit them best, and they may not be 100 kilometers away, they may be 10,000 kilometers away. So that global mindset from day one is super important from a client perspective, and it's also super important from a capital raising perspective. The outlook of the Poly startup ecosystem has evolved drastically over the past decade. We have Kinga here with us today. She is the general partner of Experian Venture Fund, and we'll talk about Poland for the next 40 minutes. Poland particularly interests me because a public program gave birth to 80 new venture capital funds over the past few years and a very vibrant stock exchange for startups. It's interesting that a Polish gaming company, CD Projekt, IPO'd on the Warsaw Stock Exchange and is now worth $11 billion. Bear in mind this discussion was before the large gaming exists from Turkey, Peak and Rolik. Let's dive right in. Hey Kinga, how are you? Hey Anis, good. Uh, how are things down your end? Oh great, great, thank you. Stuck at home for two months now. Um, are you in Warsaw? Yeah, we're in Warsaw. We're close to three months now over here. Things are slowly opening up. Uh, shops are open, hairdressing salons are open. So we have a feeling that we're a little bit past it. The weather is very good. Uh, beautiful sunshine. So sort of raring to go. Yeah, hope things will get better soon. Um, for our audience to know you better, before we dive into questions around entrepreneurship and Experia Venture Fund, can you please tell us a bit about your background um, before you became a venture capitalist? Sure. My background was actually a mixture of investments and investment banking. I had a a long period of time in the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development in London, where I spent about six years managing projects which were either equity investment projects or were more structured projects right across 27 countries. So Central Europe from Estonia right down to Romania and Bulgaria. And then um, if you go eastwards, it would go right across to Uzbekistan. And uh, the, the focus from a sectorial viewpoint was technology, informatics, media, and telecoms at that time. I also spent some time working in investment banking in New York originally, in London and in Vienna. At one point, I uh, settled back in Poland where I hadn't really lived for a while. And first of all, set up a few entities. One was an advisory business and one was one of the first venture funds here. Seven years ago when we started setting it up and finally the first investments came around five years ago, there was very little from a venture standpoint on this market. There was pretty much one listed fund. It was a venture capital fund and everyone else was just kind of discovering the ropes. And also from a startup standpoint, there were startups, but it was not like you could focus on vertical sectors and so on. There were just a lot of commotion, a lot of things going on. So that's what I'm seeing that the market has hugely progressed. So that's more or less on me. I I studied in three countries. I studied in Poland, England, and France before that. And then I'm also an alumni of Harvard Business School, sort of one of these very long management courses that I did later on while working. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 
I know that the Polish ecosystem has evolved a lot over the past decade, both from a financing perspective, so the capital and number of VC funds have grown, and also the entrepreneurial culture and the number of entrepreneurs have also grown tremendously. Being from Turkey, when I look into countries similar to Turkey, like Ukraine or Romania or Poland, I see that Poland is definitely moving really, really fast. What I want to ask you is what initially sparked you to become a venture capitalist? What made you leave your financing job and focus solely on deep technology or software platforms in Poland? First of all, I was already in that sector since the early 2000s. And I was already working in London during the first telecom bubble, the technology bubble that was in 2001. So I was already in that sector from a little bit of a different role. The time that I had at the EBRD focused me more on investments, which meant it was not an advisory business anymore. It was not about going to a deal, closing that deal, and then just moving on. It was more a long-term building relationship and value creation model. And that was my preference. So when I left investment banking, it naturally seemed that this would be sort of what I would like to do in my career. My parents are also entrepreneurs, so uh, it seemed like me becoming an entrepreneur. Creating your own fund means that you start with nothing. You start with an idea, with a team, with a strategy and a pipeline, and some, and you try to persuade some investors to give you some money. So it's a complete startup that needs to go through a fundraising process, build the trust, and then build the track record as we go along. So that's exactly what happened. And I feel that I'm well sort of positioned and, and sort of in my mind that it, I am an entrepreneur. So it kind of all fitted very well. Same time, the technology sector started to boom and it's good to spot opportunities quite early. We started out in Poland, but now we are looking at tech, at the tech space anywhere with a link to Central and Eastern Europe. So we can start from Estonia northwards, go right down to Greece, sort of southwards, and then look at Belarus and Ukraine-related startups. So it's it's quite a region that we are now looking at. And I think that my past experience working on these multiple markets has helped me a lot with that, especially on the network building side and the kind of understanding of those markets. Mm-hmm. And from an investment thesis perspective um, at Experia Venture Fund, do you guys invest into mostly local businesses or companies going for the region trying to become pan-European? Or do you have a global focus and you urge your companies to move global, have offices in Asia, US, etc.? Well, not every company is the same. What we first of all look at is we take a horizontal view of data-driven business models. So we say that data being the obvious fuel for the change is becoming more and more prevalent. What we want our founders to understand is how they can use that data what else they can gather and what kind of conclusions can come out of it. So the better and the more improved algorithms they are able to build around that, the more deep tech the technology, the more the IP. This is the kind of thing that we like. So we look right across the board. And this means that in the vast majority of cases, we are looking at companies going international from day one. Now, yes, there is a a distinction between a pure European model, which in some cases is still a big success and can work very, very well 
and you don't need to have an office in Silicon Valley or, or in Asia immediately. In other pure software businesses, it might well be the time to position yourself in London or in the US or it could be in Asia. So we have multiple approaches. We feel that Central Europe is building its offering of startups very, very quickly However, I think that just focusing on a very, very small niche brings it to quite difficult to sort of, you know, find a big pipeline of companies. So these things change as we go along. And in the first portfolio, we have one company that, for example, has the headquarters in Poland with the R&D center, but the commercialization headquarters are actually in Shanghai. They have gone eastwards. They are in Shanghai, Hong Kong, Japan today and building presence right across Southeast Asia. They're doing advertising technology. And then we have another company in the portfolio that is expanding in e-commerce D2C right across Europe. They don't sell in Poland pretty much. They sell in Germany, in the UK, France, Netherlands and so on. So these companies do build an international presence. However, the internalization side very much depends on the type of service offering, product offering that they are doing and whether it's more suitable to be close and then build a regional player or whether it's quite suitable or quite within what they should be doing to go global right away. With the software as a service model, there are a lot of companies in deep tech that need the American client base and then they need to go and try it out in the US when they can and when it's viable. And this is this kind of transition period that we are always looking at whether it's the right time for the company to make that switch or it's too early. And in a lot of these cases, we feel they need to gather the client base here in Europe where there are a lot of corporates and build partnerships in the US before making a big move because a big move obviously is expensive and risky. So this is very much on a case-by-case basis. But yes, ultimately, about half of the portfolio would end up with global headquarters being somewhere out of the region and keeping R&D and technology development in Central and Eastern Europe in one of the countries here that has the amazing software development talent base. I feel like uh, when I started the venture business, um, I, when I looked into our deal flow in Turkey, I felt like 80% was going for the local market. Um, they weren't aspiring to be international or go to the US. But as our local market struggled politically and economically, the aspiration to go global grew more and more. So today, I feel like more than 50% of our deal flow are actually filled with companies who are not seeing or regarding Turkey as their core market. And is that the case with Poland too? Uh, because a lot of the pitch decks that I get from Polish entrepreneurs, are, I mean, they still do consider Poland as a big market and it is a big market and it's not struggling as much as Turkey, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I'm completely with you on this. I think there is such a thing that was named by one of the VC general partners that was called the crisis of the 36 million. And uh, we are a 36 million country. So in a way, we're for me, Turkey is a much bigger market. In a way, we have enough corporates, enough enterprises, enough clients, whether it's B2B, B2C here, to be able to grow to quite a comfortable level for the founders. And um, it's pretty, I wouldn't say easy, no startup has it easy, but it's much easier 
because it's a bit like uh, I spent quite a while ages ago in Istanbul and I know how close people were. They knew each other. They went to the same restaurants, clubs, meetings, sports bars, and so on. It's pretty much the same here, although I would say Poland is much less Warsaw-centric than Turkey is Istanbul-centric. So in fact, you can build quite a market presence focusing on the local market. Now, that means that you are not probably as determined as someone out there in a very small country like Estonia, like Slovenia, like even Czech Republic, where you know you have no internal market practically for what you're offering and you need to expand internationally right away. So the size of the local market definitely forces certain things. Now, another thing that forces founders to make a different strategy is clearly when there is a political or social economic problem. So Turkey has known its kind of fair share of its problems internally. And I suppose what part of the decision on the founders is there. Now, Poland has not really Poland is kind of this green patch of Europe where things seem to, until at least now, go very, very well. I was having a a similar discussion with some colleagues from Ukraine where they also say, look, we have amazing software engineers, but we know we will never build a local market out there for our software. So we immediately go to Silicon Valley. And we know, but this is a forced situation because actually, in fact, again, it's a 60 plus million market. So in theory, you could build significant size companies, but nevertheless, there is something that is pushing them out. So I think with general turmoil, people adapt, people adapt very, very quickly. And then they understand that it's well worth standing on multiple legs. Mm across countries, across regions, across continents, across jurisdictions. Because if the place they're at is a little bit unstable, then that has consequences on the prospects. Now, a UK and Brexit is another example of this, where before it was really the place to go and and do startups. And there were so many great things done with EIS investment scheme and and other things and, and the largest venture market out there. But still, companies feel unclear of how the situation will pan out and have gone more European-wide as a result. So I think, you know, these things are absolutely natural. Poland is a country of 36 million with a growing so far every quarter GDP. So it's also a country that moves, I suppose, relatively fast in terms of taking risks on doing adoption of different things. So obviously uh, not on the same probably scale as California, but still, if you look at uh, all of or across Europe, I think people here are quite open to inventions. We've had a huge change of our banking system. It's one of the most modern out there, which creates, again, an opportunity for those tech companies that are servicing the financial institution sector. So, for example, that has been a big change. So, yeah, I think there are always issues that cause, uh, there's a cause and effect, and there are always issues on social or economic or regulatory or just simply market size. That means that founders need to think a little bit differently and need to go more globally or internationally. But then there are founders who have always thought that way from day one. And those are the founders that best fit our investment thesis and our investment strategy because tech is global. 
And venture is not private equity. Private equity are companies that are supposed to be in one place that usually service a region or a market and it's different kind of consumer or B2B businesses that are built around that. But no, this is a different mindset. We are looking for those who are ready to build multiple presence across multiple places, find the best clients that fit them best, and they may not be 100 kilometers away, they may be 10,000 kilometers away. So that global mindset from day one is super important from a client perspective. And it's also super important from a capital raising perspective, because we need to raise the capital. And so far, the region here, the Central European region has been very, very seed capital focused. Angel investing, pre-seed, seed that's where the money was, but not really in funds that were doing growth stage, post-product, post-revenue type investments. And then when you think about a Series A, but then Series B kind of investments in Series C, this has not really been the domain of Central Europe. The funds here are small. They are unable to meet even the follow-on requirements often of larger rounds. So we need to have the startups raise the money somewhere. And therefore, the global outlook really helps with that because it puts you in the same room having the conversation with the global funds out there. So, yeah, so I think you need to look at it from multiple standpoints. Uh, the value chain is missing locally. Even when I look um, also into the Turkish market, same with Poland, I guess, um, following, there's a lack of follow-on funding. Uh, after Series A, there's a big crunch. There is no local fund or an international fund looking into Turkey that can invest five, 10, $20 million tickets. And then there is no local acquirer. That's why you have to be global. Something you said really resonated with me because we coined a term called population paradox. And this was the lower the population gets, the more global companies they have. Um, if you look into countries like Sweden, Estonia, Israel, etc., they had more unicorns than these mid-market countries like France or Italy or Spain historically. I'm just because the entrepreneurs had to go global from day one. And part of our investment thesis was that as the markets struggle, like Ukraine or like Turkey, entrepreneurs will start to go global from day one, will want to aspire to go global. Um, so that will have this population paradox effect, even in some mid-market countries who are struggling uh, politically. And this happened, actually, when you look into the Turkish success stories from a decade ago, those would be regional powerhouses, regional e-commerce, regional food delivery, regional payments, etc., but more and more, the recent exits and the recent big M&A activity in the technology space in Turkey has been companies like Citus Data, which got acquired by Microsoft, or Opsgenie, which got acquired by Atlassian. What are some of the breakout success stories from Poland that weren't actually Polish-focused from a market perspective? They were global. They just saw Poland as a tech hub for their backend technology office. Well, first of all, you know, I would say from a Polish standpoint, we are pretty impressed by what Estonia has done with the number of unicorns that have gone global from day one. And we would love to have the similar situation of number of unicorns per capita like Estonia does. Here in Poland, over the last sort of couple of years, uh, we've had one big success story, which is local, not global. And that's the competitor to eBay that has been sold for now over 3 billion euros and is in the hands of private equity. 
that's a company that has way over 50% of the e-commerce market here. But again, that's not the kind of examples we'd like to see in our discussions, at least for the purpose of this podcast. We have a stock exchange listed company called CD Project. That is the gaming company that invented a game called The Witcher, uh, and that is now doing cyberpunk with Keanu Reeves, probably seen uh, that on, on some of the posters. And that's the largest gaming company now uh, out of the region. That's had a huge increase in its valuation because it's uh, focused on, first of all, the first game, which was The Witcher. Now, secondly, is this one. But actually, there are very few they do very few titles. So not it's not the kind of company that does one uh, title after the next. They focus on the actual, you know, the one that is supposed to be the best, and it is. And so CD Projekt now is coming slowly close to a 40 billion Zloty valuation. So it's going, and, and Zloty is, well, and the exchange rate is changing, but it's probably around today about 8 billion euro market cap. So that's a global company. It's huge. It sells to the US. It sells its gaming products right across Asia, which is a huge gaming hub. But it's a global company. If someone likes this kind of story-driven gaming, then definitely they know The Witcher. It's a global product. It's huge. It's not a company that was venture-funded. It's a company that was built by a founder's team who are still running the company. And it was stock exchange. Uh, it listed on the stock exchange at some point and went down that route. So last year, Poland saw an amazing increase, I think, of around 80% in, on the volumes of VC fund raised. However, there is one clear success story behind that, and that is the dog planner round of 80 million that was led by Goldman Sachs. And um, what is something that we would love to see is more companies like Dog Planner. We feel they are coming. We feel that more and more of the companies raising now the 5, 10 million euro are on that path. However, we do not have today a list of companies like Dog Planner. At the same time, we do have some companies that are not very well known on the venture market that went from bootstrapping and ended up being profitable and have grown to probably, well, a unicorn status in Polish Zlotis. They're technology companies. They're delivering dividends to their founders. And they're not well known because venture was never needed. And actually, I'd say that's a huge success. If you can build companies, and those companies can be global. For example, they're servicing gaming sector. They're servicing Facebook advertising sector and everything around that. We don't hear of them so much because they don't need the publicity. They simply sell their product, which is very, very good. And they never needed external fundraising. And they've grown to a stage where they are now super independent of uh, investors. They're still owned by the founders and they're delivering dividends. So that I think that that is something that is quite a feature here. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because something similar also happened in Turkey. We had a lot of uh, B2C mobile app success stories, these mobile app studios or game development shops that are doing like a north of $100 million yearly revenue easily, one of them close to a billion dollars in revenue. But you don't see them that much often um, in the press. But still, like when you look for, to the VC funds in Turkey, including ourselves, We've invested 75% of our capital 
into B2B companies, not B2C. And the major reason was we believed to be successful in B2C globally, you need a lot of capital. And being from Turkey or from Poland, it's a disadvantage. You're not going to be able to raise that much compared to your competitor in the US. And B2B markets tend to be much more fragmented, whereas B2C markets are more winner-takes-it-all markets. And it's tough for to bet that this company is going to become the winner. Hence, we invested a lot into B2B, yet we see a lot of success in B2C in Turkey too. How is your composition, your portfolio composition between B2B and B2C? And do you think it's going to change soon? I think we are exactly where you are. The vast majority services, the B2B market. It's also, uh, I think, a feature of Poland because with the move of the R&D centers of some of the largest companies like the Googles and the Ubers out there, the engineers that have worked in those companies have learned more, usually, the B2B business models and they they develop then their own startups based on that. So I think it's also related to this. But yes, you're right. I mean, it's a more fragmented market and B2C is much less. However, we have a a star company in our portfolio called Tilco. uh, That's spelled T-Y-L-K-O, which is a D2C e-commerce. It's a very much data-driven company that sells its interior design product, which is kind of a custom-made, custom-designed ivy shelf for your home office, basically for your home, but can also go for office space. They have quite a product line. You can design the furniture piece with an augmented reality app on your iPhone or with the website. And it's a pure software company. It's a company that's grown, I think, around 30 times since we've invested and it's gone past break even. And so any money that will go into that company for expansion is actually on sound unit economics and and sort of strong fundamentals. So I think that is key when you can invest in a company that really has a strong and sound business model. Because in B2C, what we have seen a lot is this kind of crazy idea of always running to the next investor round. The unit economics are not sound, the growth is huge, and you have the founder running just for a bigger round, bigger round, bigger round, and all the different bells and whistles that follow from a legal perspective into the document. So you have the cascade structure and immediately the next round sort of validates the previous one. So the valuation kind of means that you always need to chase a higher one. You always need to chase a bigger round, but you're not actually catching up with your real KPIs, with your real financial results. You're always chasing that. We don't like those business models, to be perfectly honest because the vast majority of them may hit a wall at some point. And I think the current state of the pandemic has shown that, that these business models are tough. So if you can mix a B2B SaaS with a B2C marketplace or some kind of SaaS offering anyway with a marketplace offering together and have recurring revenue coming from one and the the sort of faster growth coming from the other, that's an ideal situation. And that's where you can multiply your product offering across the next market and try and build a regional player or basically do a, a kind of global assessment and say, okay, you know, I started out, I don't know, in Poland, but then Maybe Philippines is the most similar market to mine. Can I service that out of a call center in Poland? 
can I build a second presence over there, sort of in the middle of Asia? Because the market has similar characteristics in terms of the development of a certain segment, in terms of the user acquisition cost, the cost of advertising, and, and, and so on and so forth. That could be also a way to expand not just go anywhere, but to very, very much selectively choose a place that has similar characteristics to where I've been a winner. Because building a number one here in a 36 million country is still something. But if you can choose a second market and then a third one and a fourth one with specific characteristics, you may end up with a global footprint, which is pretty selective. And you may end up with building quite a large company based on this selectivity. So not everyone needs to go to the U.S. It's quite clever when companies can choose certain markets that have similar characteristics. They already know how to grow it. They already know how to deliver good KPIs and kind of sound unit economics and then try and grow up that. It's not an easy path, obviously, but it's an intelligent one. Yeah. yeah. Like when I look into our portfolio, there are either companies that go to the US directly because they're in very immature technology spaces. They need early adapters. They need high enterprise budgets. So they maybe do a couple pilots in Turkey, but then go to the US directly. And then there are the ones that grow in Turkey for a couple of years, dominate the local market. But if you've dominated Turkey, chances are you're not going to be able to dominate a more mature market because the dynamics are way different. You have to go to a market that's similar to Turkey. That can be Poland, Romania, somewhere in Southeast Asia, can be somewhere in the Middle East. But chances are it's not the UK, it's not the US. And something you said also, I felt is really true. We always tell our founders to be six months away from profitability. Given the lack of liquidity um, in the local market, we have to advise that to their entrepreneurs. They cannot be two years or four years away from profitability because what happens if they're not going to be able to raise the follow-on funding, which is one of the possibilities just because there's not that many VC funds here. You said that the owner of the Witcher CD project, um, they IPO'd into the Polish local market. And I saw a lot of uh, local companies in Poland do their public offerings into the Polish local market. That's not something we see here in Turkey, although we have a public market, which is somewhat effective and there's somewhat liquidity. Unfortunately, it hasn't been a route for startups or technology companies. We only have a handful of those. How did Poland ignite that public market to have all these startups and technology companies see it as an exit prospect and as a liquidity prospect? Well, um, a while back, we had uh, one of the most modern pension fund systems in Europe built. It's a little bit, unfortunately, uh, going away from that model at this point because of certain changes on political levels. But if you kind of go back around 10 years, we had one of the most modern, it was a three pillar pension fund system. And this meant that a lot of new and well-managed pension fund managers like Aviva of this world and ING came into the country and you could you would have a part that was from your salary that went into a pension fund with selected by you but then you could have a, also an additional pillar for your own funds in addition to the regular pension fund money to be managed also by those fund managers and this actually grew this made the market grow and it kind of fueled by also privatization and the privatization model was a lot of it was stock exchange listed so this kind of came in at the same time as the economy was doing better and better and better people were getting more wealthy so this kind of you know started and then there was quite a push of warsaw stock exchange to become the leader right across the region 
And we began to get double listings of companies coming from Austria. We began to have listings of large consumer products, companies coming from Ukraine. So this kind of grew, grew and grew. And there were a couple of technology companies that at one point listed and became quite big. You probably know LiveChat. And LiveChat is a Polish unicorn because it's over a, a billion Polish slots. And that has done on the stock market very, very well. Again, it has a venture story behind it because the founders did bring a venture fund along. But these days, it's pretty much half owned still by the founders. And the remainder of the shares is owned by some of the largest pension funds and mutual funds here. So there was quite a basis of strong financial investors. And then there was quite a lot of push from the private investor side who are also seeing that the tech companies, the gaming sector is, for example, very, very hot and is growing well in terms of stock market capitalization. So in that space, a lot of people got very, very interested in it and it made the stock exchange grow. Now, peak has also had its fall, but now it's pretty much back on track after the pandemic. So some companies that went 50% down just recently, literally six weeks ago, are again 50% or 60 or 70% up by today. <laughs> so really, and it's a liquid market, you know, with companies that are over 300, 400 million euros in market cap, it's already liquid. So if you look at the top sort of 30 Polish companies listed on the stock exchange market, they are very, very liquid. They're not the scale of NASDAQ, obviously, but they are liquid. It's well worth taking a look and they have done very, very well in terms of share growth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I always say that the end goal is the public market because you either IPO your company or you get acquired by a company who is already public or you get acquired by a company who's potentially going to get acquired by a company who is already public. And once the public market is not there in the value chain, where in Turkey it's unfortunate, but it isn't there, then everything crumbles. So I think there's a lot of work to take the Turkish public market to a Polish level, especially on the startups. Um, let's see how that goes. But Poland also saw a huge influx of public capital and then interest coming from West, a lot of these Western VCs started to deploy more and more capital into Poland. How did that impact the overall entrepreneurial ecosystem? And do you see that as a threat or an advantage for Xperia? Well, to, to what we are seeing is a huge, 2019 has been a huge change for Poland in terms of the VC space. First of all, the local Polish development fund of funds was created probably about, what well, now, three years ago. But really for them, 2019 has been a time of huge speed of investment and creating of new funds. So they probably created as a fund of funds about 30 VCs last year. Okay, maybe they didn't reach 30, maybe it's like 28. But still, it's a huge number of new entities coming into the market at different points in terms of the investment roadmaps. So some of them will be typically seed investments up to, say, a million euro per company, but some will be larger. And for the first time last year, we've also seen the Polish Development Fund of Funds invest in foreign VCs as just a regular LP. 
So they've invested in Finch Capital, they invested in ICOS from the Netherlands, and this is sort of coming up more and more and more. So we are seeing that they also want to attract the international players to be more active here on the local market. And that's very good because it's bringing in new quality, it's bringing in know-how, it's bringing in the network, it's bringing in a lot of sort of positive vibes. About two or three years ago, a joint venture between Israeli Pitango was created and a local fund of uh, a local LP. And that's also brought in new quality because really the Israeli side is committing a lot of skills, a lot of knowledge, a lot of, uh, you know, exchange of network, helping their portfolio companies grow. We are a happy co-investor actually with them in two of our portfolio companies. So we are seeing this really come into Poland. And this is exactly what we would like to see. Because the more knowledge you bring, the more know-how, the more experience, the wider a global network, the better it is for a fund like Xperior. We want to co-invest and we want to co-invest with the best out there. And if they are willing to come into the region and we look regionally and they do as well. So we're an ideal partner for that. We know we have the skills and the know-how of what's going on here locally we have quite unique technology skills. One of the partners of my fund is also an external regional director at Microsoft in Seattle. So he's helping the board of Microsoft on certain advisory things for a number of years now. Former software engineer actually turned entrepreneur. He exited his company in the US to Nike. And now he's still working with Microsoft. So I think that what we want to see is exactly this kind of quality. We want to see the global investors bring in the understanding of technology, the understanding of business models, the upgrade in commercialization skills, which this region needs so much, and the global network. And this is great because the only way we are going to grow these huge regional or international or global champions is by truly being global and truly exchanging the knowledge and the network from day one. I think it's a huge opportunity and it's great to see that that the funds are coming in. I mean, it's great to see Goldman Sachs invest in Doc Planner. Let's, you know, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great. All these developments are great for Poland and I'm also happy that um, you're welcoming more and more VCs um, to invest into Poland. Hopefully someday we, either as five fund startups or five fund startups Istanbul, hopefully we'll do more in Poland, perhaps have a regional fund that covers Central Eastern Europe. As a closure, uh, before we move to three quick fire questions, the advantages of starting in Poland are apparent. Um, it's cheaper to start in Poland, probably it's cheaper to have a pilot, get your pilot customers in, probably easier to access to talent compared to more mature markets and also easier to retain that talent. But what, what are some of the disadvantages of starting in Poland? What are some of the patterns that you see these Polish entrepreneurs fail as they try to expand outside Poland, either to the US or more regional, etc.? Well, I would say that the ideal way to start out in Poland would actually be to bring a person who knows a certain segment of the market, a certain sector very, very well from Western Europe or the US who understands marketing and sales and find himself a co-founder here that is a CTO. That's an ideal way to start because where we are very good is technology. Where we are not so good as a region is the sales and marketing uh, aspects. So this could be because also after you have a, a one big success in a country like Skype in Estonia, 
you have the alumni of Skype that have then built their own companies. And now you have three unicorns, but then there are more on the way. And it's kind of fueled the whole market growth. So we need the people who are starting their own startups to have had this experience somewhere. So we need those shining examples. And those shining examples Usually to get to a higher level of revenue to more global expansion, need to have strong commercialization teams. And that's what is lacking in general. You know how it is with early stage investing. You have a great product, but then the whole thing is about selling it. It's great that you have a great product. That's absolutely wonderful, but it's about execution. It's about doing the right marketing at the right price, the right sales strategy and the right network building, partnerships building around that. If we could upgrade this, not just as Poland, but as a region, I think, you know, this is what we are on the way to do. And I think that this is why there will be a huge change over the next five years and huge opportunities and, and levels of returns coming out of the region because we have what is fundamental is we have amazing technology and amazing software engineers. So if we can add those two parts together, then I think that's a clear success story. Yeah, I think Poland and Central Eastern Europe in general has the main ingredients to become a success story. And we're going to have more companies with multiple office structures, um, like your Skype example, which will hopefully democratize access to capital and access to expertise to even give breed to a new age of entrepreneurs uh, locally. Let's move to the three quick fire questions before we close up. My first question is, let's say you're not allowed to work for a year and you can live anywhere you want. Uh, which city would that be? Actually, it wouldn't be in a city. It would be in the middle of nowhere where there would be no city. It'd be sort of in the mountains where you can go out, have a fresh air and, and have a forest and just go for a walk and run around. A city is not something that I, I desire. So, you know, I think it's more about being close to nature um, and kind of being in balance with nature around you. So that would be my preference away from a city, definitely. So great. I mean, there are, I think there's like three buckets of people. There are the people who prefer going to large cities like New York or London. I'm not there. Then there are the beach kind of people. They want to go to, I don't know, Southern Turkey, Bali, Caribbean Sea, whatever. And then there are the mountain people who want to be close to the nature. Um, you're the second person who said mountain, like hiking, being close to nature, etc. My second question is going to be, if you had to rename Xperia, what would you name it to? Well, I was thinking about this, you know, going around the kind of names in my head, like, yes, we can and moonshot and so on. This is the kind of uh, um, direction that I'd like to rename Xperia if I could. Yeah, cool. Makes sense. Um, how did you come up with the name, by the way, initially? What was the inspiration? Well, actually, my partner did. Yeah, she was looking for a name and she wanted to show that she's experienced in a certain field. And that's how it came about. And my last question is, if you had to donate your whole net worth, and the keyword here is donate, into one private company, which company would that be? Well, definitely, I think it's the time for medtech changes. What I would like to see is more medtech companies who are personalizing the medical sector, the diagnostics and the personalized medication in all sorts of fields. I would like to see those get more and more funding because I, I truly believe that this is life-changing for us. I have had the chance to observe a little bit a company from Germany called CureVac, which is now working on the coronavirus vaccination. And I think this is the kind of company that 
we should fund, basically. This is the kind of company that if I could fund, I would, because I think this is a big changer. That company is, in the end, wanting to work on personalized immunization for everyone across the problems that each person is having on, on the medical side. So this is exactly what I like. I think that working off the data finding cures, finding vaccinations against certain problems that are coming up in a more personalized way, something that where vaccination can be printed out literally by a doctor when you visit him in the little printer. Can you imagine how wonderful that would be? That would be personalized for you exactly to solve the problems that you have. So this is the kind of company that I'd like to fund. Mm -hmm. makes total sense. I mean, healthcare is broken and uh, drug development is even worse. So we need some companies to fix that uh, for good. Well, Kinga, thanks for joining the podcast. Um, it was a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And it's been great talking to you and stay in touch. I personally did not look into Poland that much because I believe it is overcapitalized by both local and Western European VCs. Yet the country continues to attract more capital for private companies and also for public ones. It's exciting to see how this vast increase in venture capital in the country will shape its entrepreneurial ecosystem for the next decade. See you next week. To stay in the loop, go to our website, getcc.com, or follow us at getcc on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.